I, I'm gonna be honest, I have deep wounds and from my past that I'm still processing. How long are you gonna ignore that? How long are you gonna ignore that? How long are you just gonna be angry and never ask, why am I angry? Why am I so angry? In case you know, yeah, I'm dealing with my issues. I've been seeing a therapist every week for seven months. And one of the things we're processing on a weekly basis, my journey towards dealing with pain and wounds in my life. And by the way, that begins with, I have to be rigorously honest with myself. I'm laughing because all these years, being rigorously honest with my, my, my poor wife, my poor wife, my poor wife. She's an amazing saint. If they give out crowns in heaven, she's gonna have like a thousand of them. For years she said, Peter, you have anger issues. And I go, no I don't. You have anger issues, no I don't. You have anger issues, no I don't. Okay, you don't have anger issues, fine. Can I just say this? Do you have anger issues? Because if you do, will you come and talk to me? I don't wanna be your therapist. <laughs> just be clear, but please come and talk to me. Secondly, not only did I not mourn loss as well, but I violated God's gift of limits. We have physical limits, we have time limits. You all know you only have 24 hours a day, right? I know you live like you have 28, you only have 24 hours a day. We have a certain amount of days on earth. Death confronts us with ultimate limits as human beings. That's why we don't grieve well. That's why we don't grieve well. Ability to grieve well comes from our ability to receive limits. There's relationship limits. If you're single, you can't do certain things that married people do. Married couples, you know there's certain things that you would love to do when you were single that you no longer can do. Seasons of life limits. And then there's capacity limits. Capacity limits, gifts, talents, and abilities, which I'll get to a little bit later. God says I give you gifts, talents, and abilities. And I have kingdom assignments for you. Don't worry about other people's kingdom assignments. What I've given you, don't resent that other people have gifts you don't have. Don't be envious. But live into the call that God has for you, Peter, and not someone else. And I struggle mightily with embracing God-given limits for one reason. I don't trust God. Embracing God's limits requires trust. Do you know what I'm saying? Do you realize that to embrace God-given limits for your finances, to say, I'm going to spend this much on me and be radically generous with others means that I trust that God is my provider. If you don't trust God, you will never put limits around your finances. If you don't trust God, you won't put limits around who you date who you marry, why? If I don't trust that God is for me and is with me and is my best interest at heart, I am not going to honor God-given limits. I didn't trust God with our church. What I'm about to say is gonna sound ridiculous to you and you're gonna judge me and that's okay. 
I said to myself, I know better than God what this church needs. I said to myself, I care more about this church than God does. I said to myself, I am able to do what this church needs more than God is able. And in case you're sitting there judging me and saying, what that sounds stupid, it is. Until we recognize, when is the last time you said, does God really know what I need? Does God really care about what I need? Is God really able to bring about what it is that I need? Because if you don't, you're going to say, my time, my agenda, according to my ways. I didn't trust God. And I found myself violating God-given limits mentally, emotionally, spiritually. I found myself trying to do things that I neither have the capacity nor the gifts to do, which led to burnout. And then three, I bought into the fallacy of individual heroism. This is straight up from Henry Nouwen. Months into my leave, as the way that I would describe it is if you get a jar of river water, you know, and then you shake that thing and all that muddy stuff, but it takes some time for the sediments to settle and the water to clear. Well, when the water began to clear, I didn't like what I was seeing about myself. Because here's what I saw. Well, let me tell you how it happened. A month into the, the, the leave, I'm sitting out on the deck with my wife and she has her glass of wine and I've got my beverage of choice and we're sitting there. And I say, Jenny, God is beginning to reveal things about me. And I don't like what I'm saying. She's like, What's, what are you saying? I said, I, said I, I actually think that I know better than anybody. I said, I actually hate it when people tell me what to do. And then third, I said, I hate being dependent on anybody. It's ugly, Jenny. I hate. And my wife is drinking her wine. And she puts her wine down and she goes, Everybody knows. <laughs> you don't need to clap for that, man. Why you clap for that? So hold up. So hold up. So, hold up. so she, she's just casually. Everybody knows. And then she puts her wine down and. Right now, I am angry, like angry. I, I didn't think it was funny at, at this. I am livid. And I'm saying stuff that I'm going to. And my wife, in her calm, just, she goes, Peter, those typical casual attenders that show up on Sundays to hear preach, no, they think you're this something. She said, your family, they know you. And then she said the following, which slayed me. She said, 
Do you really think people follow you because you're perfect? She said, people follow you because with your ugly flaws and mess, at the end of the day, they know that you will bow your knees to Jesus as Lord. Then, then she finished her wine. And I think she went back inside the house, and I was left out in the deck going, what just happened? <laughs> Do you know what individual heroism says? It says, it's all up to me. You know what individual heroism says? The church will die unless I preach well, unless I perform well. Individual heroism says, it's all up to me. It's all up to me. It's all up to me. And that lie is killing my soul. I hope you heard what I just said. I didn't say, and that lie was killing my soul. That lie is still killing my soul. And I don't want to be that pastor anymore. Do you know why I struggle with this so much? I'll just tell you. Here I go. One, because my ego or my false self loves it. My ego loves being needed. My ego loves feeling like I'm indispensable. My ego loves you needing me, but me, I don't need you. And you know what else that does? It leads to devastating loneliness. It leads to devastating loneliness and inability to connect in deep, intimate community. If you come to our church any length of time, you'll hear this intimacy is what? Being, say it with me, being fully known and fully loved without any fear. But if you buy into individual heroism, you go, I have to be competent for everybody. I have to be perfect for everybody. I have to be strong for everybody. So the thought of being vulnerable and transparent, it's impossible. It's impossible. Do you know that over the years, I'm just, by the way, church, is this too much? Are you okay with this? Okay, over the years, I have had many of you come up to me and go, I love you, Peter. I know you're genuine, but I, I couldn't accept it. You know, I, 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 I couldn't fully accept it. Here's, here's, here's the thing. You can't experience genuine love until you accept it. Let me say that again. You can't experience genuine love until you accept it. Do you know why some of you walk around doubting whether God loves you? It's one thing to know God loves me here. It's another thing to what? And by the way, you can't accept God's love and try to earn it at the same time. Good Lord, I don't know how many of us are sitting here. We've gone to church all of our lives. You've never experienced God's love. And have accepted it. I never fully accepted 
Because I always wonder, when people go, I love you, wait, wait, would you still love me if you saw this side of me? I love you. Would you still love me, though, if you knew what I do? I love you. Would you still love me, though, if you saw behind the veil the ugly things that lurk? Here's the problem. But if you never be fully vulnerable and transparent, you'll never be fully what? Loved. So you'll walk around all of your life desiring and needing to be fully loved but never experiencing it because you're never fully transparent. Some of you, this is your marriage for crying out loud. James, James, James. James says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. And some of us think that it's just some miraculous thing that God does. I don't think that's what he means. There's a saying in AA, you're only as sick as your what? Your secrets. You're only as sick as your secrets. Do you know what Satan's two biggest weapon is if he could get you to believe that you're the only one that struggles with that and if he could get you to believe don't tell anybody you're dead spiritually how many of us are sitting here this morning actually believing I'm the only one that struggles with this and I can't possibly tell anybody That was me. That's why James says confession and prayer in the context of a loving community is literally healing and redemptive. That's why confession, you need to know what I struggle with. And we're not going anywhere. We love you. Prayer. James says, could heal you. To me, there's no greater gift than being able to say to somebody, here's all that I am, and to have that person go, but I love you anyway. And lastly, I think this is the last. I don't know if you could handle more. Oh, I guess there's two more reasons. One is I'm addicted to control. I was going to say, but I struggle with control. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm addicted to control. By the way, am I the only one that struggles with this? Okay, good. So we're in good company then. You can't let go of not being in control over your finances, family, children, your marriage, your career. You're the person that says, I know the plans I have for you, for my spouse, for my friends, for my pastor, for my church. So we fall into this trap of trying to manage outcomes. We fall into this trap of trying to manage outcomes. Have you ever, have you ever applied or done a job that you're unqualified for? Anybody? 
Anybody? Yeah. Do you know why that's so exhausting? Because you're unqualified for it. Do you know why it's so exhausting trying to manage outcomes? Because you're unqualified for it. Some of us walked in here this morning and were completely worn out, exhausted. And you're thinking, I have no idea why. Could it be because you're trying to manage and control outcomes that you have neither the ability nor the capacity to do? I want to say right now, I'm just going to preach for 30 seconds. There is only one person who is wise enough, loving enough, competent enough to manage outcomes, and his name is Jesus. And he says he loves you with his everlasting love, and he is for you. It is an act of grace that God shattered my illusion of control in my life. You won't feel like it's grace, but I am telling you it is an act of grace when God shatters the illusion that you and I walk around with that we're in charge, we're in control of everything. When people ask me what I did for the last seven months, I tell them this. I spent hours and hours every day in silence and solitude. No spiritual discipline has been more transformative for me than silence and solitude. Here's the reason why. Silence and solitude literally is a discipline of letting go. In silence and solitude, which I'm going to preach about in a couple of weeks, in silence and solitude, I'm not managing anything. I'm not fixing anything. I'm not planning anything. I'm not controlling anything. In silence and solitude, I am literally practicing the discipline of letting go and saying, I am not in control of anything. If you want to find true rest, child of God, make the commitment to release outcomes to Jesus. Saying, I can't. I can't. <sighs> last reason, and this gets tricky here, because the other reason and the last reason why I found myself where I was is I wanted to be responsible. What do I mean? All the Asian folk and maybe non-Asian white folk who grew up in a culture like this, you'll relate. This might actually bring up some bad or good memories. See, some of you, when you hear the word duty, obligation, you go, ugh. Well, I grew up in a culture where duty and obligation were actually good corrective to hyper-individualism. But duty and obligation can turn toxic when it turns into overfunctioning and workaholism. Can I tell you a story? Do you know I immigrated to the country when I was 10 years old? My parents owned a dry cleaners when I was 11. Do you know what that meant? That meant they had to get up around 5.30 and leave around 6 o'clock. So there was my brother, who was seven at the time. There was me, and there was my younger sister. Here's what happened. My mom would literally prepare our school lunch and dinner when we got home. And she would sit me down and she would say, you know we're gonna leave and we're gonna come home at 6.37. I need you, Peter, to take care of your brother and your sister. Get them from school and come home. That 11-year-old boy that heard that from my parents I'm 48 going to be 49 in a month it's still in here it might sound crazy to some of you but I just need you to know I feel responsible for you and I feel responsible for this church 
And when that turns toxic, you know what I say? I go, just as I was not going to let my parents down, I'm not going to let anybody watch over my brother and sister because it's my responsibility. I ain't going to let anybody, anybody take what I need to be responsible for. And yeah, at some point it turned toxic because I said, nobody else is going to help me do it. I'm going to do it. At some point, it turned toxic because it said, I'm going to overfunction and overwork, and I don't need anybody to tell me otherwise. It turned toxic. I share this with you to say, can you be gracious with me as your pastor learns how to let go and empower others to do the work that God has called all of us to do? Can I get an amen? Will you be gracious with me? as we stub our toes, as we get back to working together, because what seems on the outside to be exerting control, it may be, it just may be me not wanting to be irresponsible. And I need you to lovingly say, Peter, let us do some of the work, because we're in this together as your family. Can I get an amen? And I can't begin to tell you how proud I was walking away yesterday with 60 leaders who are the core of this church, who showed me loud and clear, we got this, man. Just do your kingdom assignment, and we'll do ours, and we'll be fine. Lastly, I lost my way. I lost my way, my true self. In case you've been really, really nervous about, man, what is this guy talking about, this true self, false self? Like, I need some, I need some something, something meaty or biblical concrete. Uh, you clearly haven't been around this church long enough then. Um, let me just show you some scriptures because this is kind of our journey for the next two weeks. Colossians 3.3. 3. For you die to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. I love that. You die to this life, Peter, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Your true self, the true you that is hidden with Christ in God. Your true self, your deepest, your deepest, truest identity. Your true self, my true self that's fearfully and wonderfully made with the calling, giftings, talents, and abilities. Here's another scripture, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person, the old life is gone and the new life has begun. Ephesians 4, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is where we're going for the next two, three weeks. The goal of the Christian life the goal of spirituality is not more information. It is to be formed like Christ. The goal of spirituality, please hear me. Some of us don't need more information, particularly we have all the information we have and we're not doing anything about it. What we need is to be formed into who we are. That's what Paul says. And in your truest self, you're living the script that God has for you. In your truest self, you're not living someone else's life, you're living the life that God has for you. What if the life that you were told you wanted all your life 
is not the life you really want? What if the life that you were told you wanted all your life, what if the life that you were told you should want all of your life is not the life you really want? I wonder today how many of us are sitting here and we have the career that we want, the job that we want, the money that we want, the person that we're dating that we want. I wonder how many of us are sitting here this morning with the life that we were told we wanted all of our lives and coming to realize maybe this isn't the life that I want. Somewhere I lost my way and I began to believe these voices inside my head that said, Peter, here's what a successful pastor looks like. They have a big church with lots of people. Peter, here's what a successful pastor looks like. They have a big budget and they're able to do lots of things. Peter, here is what? And I began to hear those voices, began to hear those voices and I completely lost my way Instead of embracing God's kingdom call on my life, I try to be somebody else. Church, I'm sorry. That for the last two, three years, I was struggling with this and I never shared this with you. Church, I'm sorry that as I struggled with this, being obsessed with wanting to grow the church and losing my way, trying to be somebody that I'm not, losing my way, trying to define success in all the wrong ways and losing my way, that I may have led some of you astray. In the end, when I stand before God, he's not going to ask me, why weren't you Mother Teresa? He's going to ask me, why weren't you Peter? In the end, when I stand before God, he's not going to ask me, why weren't you Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.? He's going to ask me, why weren't you Peter? When you stand before God, he's not going to ask you, why did you not live the life that you were told you should want? He's going to ask you, why did you not live the life I gave you? Are you living the life that God has for you or someone else's life? How many of you in your 20s compare your career with other people that you graduated with and you go, man. How many of you look at other people's marriages and you go, how many of you literally are saying, why do I not have the life that they have and forget to ask the question, what is the life that God has given me? As I began to process all this, I'm almost done. I know you're used to people preaching for 20 minutes while I was gone. Just hang in there. I told Emily, though, I'm always going to finish at 11.15. So I'm, I'm wrapping it up, man. As I began to, Cece, you can come on up. As I began to process where I was, I needed to come to grips with this sobering truth. Everybody, will you please hear this? If you haven't heard anything, here's what I learned after seven months. I can't change myself. Oh, I miss you guys. I can't bring about the transformation that I seek. 
God has to do it. You cannot bring about the changes that you, let me take it a step further. Let me take it a step further because here's what I realized. Not only can I not bring about the change I need, I don't even know what I need. I don't even know what I need. My ego, my false self, my big arrogant false self thinks I know what I need and I know what I need to do bring the changes. I am telling you right now, I don't even know what I need. So here's what I need from God. God, I need you to show me what I need and bring about the transformation that only you can. That is the Christian life. You and I, we don't even know what we need. You think you do. You don't. I thought I did all of these years. I don't even know what I need. I need God to show me what I need and bring about the changes that only he could bring. I am that dependent on God. Do you know why he does that? Because otherwise, it'll think it was me and he doesn't get the glory. Otherwise, I'll think that I was the source of my healing and he doesn't get the glory. Is, does anybody know what I'm talking about? And here's where you and I need to go. The only way to learn that I don't know what I need, I can't change myself, and I need to surrender. The only way to go through this is to go through the desert, the wilderness. The last seven months for me has been a journey into the desert. The wilderness. Can I ask, before I even talk, does anybody have this sense like, Peter, that's me, I'm in the desert right now. here's the thing and I need you to hear this Jesus 40 days in the desert Moses 40 days in the desert what makes you and I think that we're exempt from the desert the desert is an inevitable part of the spiritual journey where you enter it so that God would have some time listen to this to just strip away the false self in that seemingly barren, quiet, lifeless place where you're, I'm so useless, I'm not doing it right now, in that place where you go, God, are you with me? In that place of quiet and loneliness, God begins to strip away the false layers and layers of false self that some of us so tacked onto our bodies and our souls that it feels like skin and that thing being torn off, which only God can do, will oftentimes feel like death, and it is death. But here's the central message of the gospel. There is no eternal life without death. There is no crucifixion. There is no resurrection without what? Crucifixion. There is no freedom to live. Freedom from bondage to validation and plurals of other people. Freedom from validation after freedom from walking around our lives going, I gotta prove myself. I gotta prove myself to my parents, to my peers. There is no walking around freedom to living our lives, not someone else's life. There is no freedom 
without death first, the death to our self-centered, self-absorbed, egocentric, false self. Death is first before there is life. And Satan will have you believe that in the desert, you're all alone. Satan will have you believe that in the desert, it's a form of punishment from God until remember in Mark chapter four, verse one. And after this, Jesus was led by the spirit into the desert. The desert is necessary for God to rebuild, reshape, and remake us. Child of God, if you are in a season of the desert where you feel like parts of you are dying, lean in, press forth. The best way out is to go through it. Don't resist, don't fight like I did. The cave that you fear to enter might hold the treasure that you seek. Don't resist. Here's a prayer that I prayed every day. And I want you to pray this with me before we end today. Because this is the prayer that I prayed every single day as a way of surrender, as a way of acknowledging I don't know what I need. I can't bring about the changes that I need. All I know is that I'm in the desert. All I know is that you're with me. All I know is that I'm not in control of outcomes. It's this prayer. Will you say it with me? God, help me to let go one more time from wanting to be in control. Give up one more time to the desire to predict life. Die one more time to the fear of not knowing where it will all lead. And surrender one more time to a love that knows no limits. Will you all stand with me? We're going to pray this prayer one more time. Will you stretch out your hand as a sign of surrender? And then we're going to pray this prayer one more time. We're going to pray this prayer one more time. And may it be if God so desires the prayer of your heart and your soul, God, help me to let go one more time from wanting to be in control. Give up one more time to the desire to predict life. Die one more time to the fear of not knowing where it will all lead. Surrender one more time to a love that knows no limits. And keep your hands stretched forth as we sing this last song. And if you feel led, pray this prayer in your heart over and over and over again. Pray it over your soul, pray it over your heart. Father, I give up one more time. I let go one more time. I die. I surrender.